0: And welcome to Sporting Directors Corner here on Get Football Plus, where we aim to look at football in the context of sporting directors, delve a little bit deeper into this multifaceted role and its impact within football across the globe. My name is Shailash. I'm the CEO at Get Football Group, and I'll be your host today. And as always, I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host David. David, how are you this morning? I'm well, Shailash. How are you? I'm good. I'm looking. I'm good. I'm good. Um, quite excited about today's episode actually um, just to give you who are listening a little flavor of what we're going to talk about so last last episode we, we talked a bit about the sasuolo method and stability and in that conversation um, David you mentioned the word heavy shirts and I was thinking about that during the week and and I thought this would make a great topic for today is to is to look a bit deeper into what you mean by heavy shirt the kind of clubs you're kind of referencing there, and then the impact um, that would have, I guess, on a sporting director as they try to do their work within that organisation. So, so the first question, really, David, is is what what do you actually mean without kind of mentioning specific clubs? Because we'll go into that. What do you actually mean by the heavy shirt? What is it? What, what what are you talking about there?
1: Yes, this is a concept. This is not. Um, I, I mean, for the record, anything that I say. Um, I did not come up with. <laughs> it's not my it's not my uh, lexicon, if you will. Uh, but it I, I, I hear it the most um, in uh, Latin uh, leagues or Latin countries, but more so in Italy, um, there's this concept of the tradition and the history of a club being very difficult for players, especially managers, to balance. Uh, progress and success, winning, playing well, performing well with the standard, right? So for just a very simple, just to to zoom out um, and and not talk about specific clubs, uh, you know, what the Netherlands does in a World uh, World Cup, if they don't qualify for the World Cup, that is a completely different conversation than if, say, I'll say Madagascar because of the the children's movie. (laughs) If they don't qualify for the world cup or the Africa cup of nations, it's a little bit different conversation. Right. And it's not about better or worse, even though that is part of it, uh, part of it. It's more about the the tradition and history that is expected at a club or a federation. It dictates behavior. It It dictates expectation and, I've learned in, in studying so many directors is that if you don't if you don't respect that part of the job at a specific club, what you fall into are very, very, very painful traps where you overemphasize certain things, whether it's money or or, or data or geographic location, and you don't appreciate um, I'm going to say, legacy. The social connection with a club and its supporters, even going back to the geographic location, so many clubs um, that are, uh, let's just say, uh, competent, viable now, they started humbly, you know, in, in smaller countries or or in less neglect, or sorry, more neglected regions of certain countries, and they just stuck to their identity. So, in, in conclusion, that identity part has so much to do with football, and I think I said it in, in our last conversation. Football is is very special. I don't I don't want to you know use you know big words or be sensational. Um, however, it's really the only team sport that I see across the landscape of team sports that has such a connection with its with its supporters and fan base. It is it is it is a DNA thing, and that part if you don't understand DNA, if you don't understand culturally. Um, what a club is is to its supporters uh, you're, you're always going to have a difficult road to navigate uh, that that
0: actually explains it quite well and I think what we're going to try to do today is we're going to we're going to kind of go across Europe again we're going to pick out some clubs which uh, we've chosen um, in the various leagues that we believe have heavy shirts right now um, and you know we'll use them as our kind of boundaries as we talk about things but in terms of if a sporting director goes into a club and let's just pick one of, of our chosen ones leon for example in, in liga you know they have you know 22 trophies over over their course of their history they're third in the roll of honor had a really really strong team in the early 2000s you know have struggled of late um, to be successful but they obviously have that heavy shirt as a sporting director going into a club like that what do you think they need to be thinking about or have thought about to kind of either embrace that the, the weight of that show or do they just disregard it? I mean, what, what are you seeing?
1: Yeah, you're uh, you're putting me on the hot seat. Ah, uh. I am,
0: I am. It's, it's, it's that
1: time. <laughs> no, no, I I am happy, I am very happy and uh, willing to be generous with my point of view. Uh, well, so clubs like Lyon, um. You know, I think one of the things that, if we're if we're honest, uh, when we're looking at what could be done better, or how do we keep a good thing going, or how do we not, say, be relegated, or how do we stay at the top of the table? Well, however you want to frame the conversation, we always need to start pretty quickly with, okay, what are what am I biased towards? What is our club bias? And bias is not a overly negative word; it's a critical thinking word. So when I say bias, I mean, how have we succeeded in the past? And if we did differently, how would it be uh, taken? You know, how would it be uh, absorbed by our fan base? So if you look at Lyon, um, I forget his first name. I know his last name. Uh, Aulas has owned the club um, for, what, 40-plus years? And especially, yeah. especially in the last, ooh, let's call it 10, 15 years or so, it's been rather bumpy, right? Lyon has a magnificent, I, I mean, I remember as a uh, <laughs> university, it's going to date me somewhat. But You're going to remember, show your
0: rage, my friend.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it is what it is. But I remember being in a university, and, and I, I think we in the last few episodes, we've talked about uh, Kareem Benzema. I remember when he was, st- I wasn't even watching world football regularly, but I remember when he was at Lyon. And they yeah, you had you, you uh kicking free kicks. And on YouTube, before YouTube became the the, the massive platform that it is now, there was this um, this compilation. I mean, there was probably 30, at least 30 free kick goals that Uninho, if I can sp- say it, uh, scored. And I forget the name of the song. I'll think of it once we get off here, obviously. But I remember telling myself, like, okay, that's weird. He's Brazilian. How is he playing in Lyon in France? Where is Leon in France? That's a far ways away, isn't it? How like he's like uh, he has, he also played in the World Cup. Why isn't he at Manchester United or Inter or um uh you know Barcelona? What well, like like not knowing what I didn't know, I said to myself, they got themselves a talented player, but that's interesting. Okay, why am I talking about Uninho? And I think the song was. Uh, I'll I'll try to look it up here uh, for later later on here, but but the key thing is is that going back to the the bias the bias is it's a way of assessing and taking inventory of who we are, who we who are we, what are we about? Um. A- another quick side note. So one of again, it's it's ironic because he's from a different um, uh, period, different season in in football. Uh. But one of the, the best people to understand managing, uh, sorry, management, leadership, recruitment, but more so people and and, and psychology is Sir Alex Ferg- uh, Ferguson, and if you look at his ascent to Manchester United, it for me is intoxicating because you can see how he thought and why it worked at a small scale. But then you can also take that lens and see it, even now, 50 plus years later, you can see it, well, not maybe not 50, 40 plus years later, you can see it in other managers in other countries and how they're able to decode success at a club. Why am I talking about Alex Ferguson and um, you know trying to connect it to Lyon? I'm trying to connect it simply because they've always produced academy and youth talent right? Always. It's a part of their club fabric. So as a manager, as a sporting director, you can't come in there expecting to coerce Mo, uh, Mo Salah or, um, who's a hot name, Arda Guler or whoever, and simply expect the fan base and the supporters to be okay with it. Yes, it might be a great signing. Yes, you might be able to get Luis Enrique, Mauricio Pochettino—you can get whatever manager and whatever talent and whatever role that you can at a given club. But going back specifically to Lyon, where they have, where they have seemingly struggled over the past—I'm going to call it pre-COVID to now. Um, I know that's a very big window in time, just as far as football, football terms, where they have struggled is that they have had the headman. Um, I, I think it's Michael Aulis. Uh, that's what yeah,
0: John Michel, I think. John Michel Allis.
1: Exactly. So John Michel Aulis, he, he is, he is the, the godfather. He understands what works. He understands how and when and why to write checks to the right causes and to get a return on investment for the club. Where they have struggled is finding the number twos and the number threes underneath him to be aligned consistently with that thought and that is where the the heaviness of the shirt again we can talk about data we can talk about um geographic dependence i mean france is very football talent dense you can i mean i joke that you can get you can probably get a holding midfielder or a left back getting petrol in um in, in, in the outskirts the suburbs of paris if if you're very 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 desperate right? And even though that might be a, a gross exaggeration, the, the main point is it's not for a lack of talent um, that they, they have uh, uneven results. It's a lack of leadership. And leadership always starts at the top. The person who is in charge of the club, the legacy of the club, is the owner, right? Sporting directors are a foil for the owner. They are the ones who say, hey, we need to get. Um, a striker that our supporters uh, can identify with. Okay, what does that striker look like? Is it say Karim Benzema? Is it, is it that level of striker that that um, let's call it icon of a striker, or do we need to focus more so on a striker who is more like um, I believe is uh, uh, Musa Dembélé, right? Or do we need to focus on Kar Toko Ekambi, right? And I'm I'm throwing out names not you know to to confuse, but more so to say. Those are three very different types of strikers, right? Uh, for for what it's worth. However, um, w- when you understand what your club is about, and when when you uh, when you understand who you're fighting up against, right? And that's the 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 elephant in the room. If you're Lyon, you know without a doubt that PSG is there. You know that Monaco is there. You know that Ren is there. And then depending on Depending on how the DNCG uh, rules, Halil uh, is there, and, and a couple other clubs are there. So you have to be—you you can't make mistakes. You can't make mistakes in management, you know, hiring the right manager, and you can't make mistakes in um, scoring goals, right? So when you when you talk about scoring goals, you have to have a system, a style of play that allows you to score enough goals to win enough games. That is overly simplistic, but that is the main problem for, I would say, ninety five percent of clubs. And when you look at Lyon, and I believe they sold, uh, uh, Lyon has been sold to uh, was a tech store. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so, you're talking about succession planning at the, the the highest level. How does that? How does that? Um, I'm gonna call it program. You know, the the code for Lyon. How does it go as they change hands? I'll be I'll be a cynic and say it doesn't. It doesn't change hands simply because it's hard for me or anybody who is not from Lyon, not from that area, not 100 percent engrossed in that culture to appreciate and to walk in that. Walk in that scarf, if you will, from across the pond or anywhere and not understand why you can't go after certain players or get certain managers right and at the end of the day that's that's football in a sense you see more and more and more uh, clubs even the clubs that have done it right for a long time take on either minority or sometimes majority stakeholders because it, it's it you know running a football club is very capital intensive but are you willing to sacrifice capital for identity? that's that's the question right and if if you're willing to sacrifice identity for capital, do you trust that the person that you're selling that that those shares to understands the shirt and I I would say a, a perfect league even though we're not there yet a perfect league league to to very uh, to, to very much see how fraught with disaster that is is Sarah. I love Sarah I will tell you that up and down I love Sarah however, So many investors, American even, my people will come in there with with loads of money, loads of hard gotten money and go into those club settings and not appreciate because that's what I'm talking about here. When you talk about heavy shirts, you're not talking about a burden. You're talking about appreciating the, the history of that club. And if you don't appreciate it, if you only see it as numbers or figures in Excel spreadsheets, it's very, very hard for the baker and the butcher and the mailman who pay, who who save up to go watch your team play that you just bought. It's very hard for them to trust you when you just want to make money, when they have generations upon generations of, of uh, supporters in their family who don't necessarily want to go to the Euro- Europa Conference League or whatever they've renamed it to. They just want their club to stay, at the very least, stay in Serie C or stay in Serie B. So – uh, that was a very long-winded answer. But the heavy the heavy shirt of Lyon is that how do we, and I laugh when I hear it, but, you know, it takes years. How do we continue to produce youth talent that the world wants, that Florentino Perez wants, that Manchester United wants, but also compete in Champions League, right? Uh, one of my favorite games, uh, matches that I've watched in the past 15, or 20, 15 years or so was when Lyon played Barcelona. Barcelona had Thierry Henry. I think Deco was still there. Obviously, Messi, Xavi, Iniesta. Lyon had Juninho, uh, Karim Benzema, and I'll stop. Uh, Sidney Gouvet. They had these players that, on an international level, only a few of them were stellar, right? Galactico, even. Yet, they had a cohesiveness, and they had a a hard identity that allow them to fight against the world's elite.
0: I mean Leon they see I mean they've got the new owners in there the American owners um, but you know you've got Laurent Blanc as a manager you know world cup winner you've got Vincent Ponsot who I think is the director of football there who's also been there I think since the early 2020s you talked about the understanding the heavy shirt I'm hoping that Those guys can, I guess, tell the American owners about this is what this shirt means, this is what the badge means, this is what our supporters are expecting, this is what our identity is, and I appreciate they probably have to change it a little bit, right? Otherwise, how do you compete with PSG, which is probably you know impossible in terms of resources? But the clubs around us, like the Monaco's, the Marseille, the Rand, the Lille, you know, we want to be in and around that at least as quickly as possible, Um, and so from. From a sporting director's point of view, like Vincent Ponsot, I don't know much about him. I don't know how much you know, David, but I guess you've got to have the character, right, to be able to say this is what this shirt means, this is what this badge means. So we'd have to talk about Vincent, but in terms of, I guess, a positive example of a a sporting director in a club, um, and it could be a Serie A, like you mentioned, um, that has come in a club that is perceived as a heavy shirt, but has been able to embrace that understand what that means and be able to progress in a very positive way who, who can you give some examples or an example of someone that has been able to do that
1: yes and i apologize for um uh, what how how I says I'll, I'll i'll apologize for it not firing quickly but a perfect example is in france toulouse damien comolli right okay. they have financial backing Okay. I, I mean, they have the financial backing, but if you look at, if you listen to, and you, you read the interviews that Komoli uh, Damien has given over the past two or three years, what you see to me, to me is the blueprint of how to buy a club and how to succeed. Um, that is me saying that I, I'm not, um, I need to research it more and share uh, with you guys in the, in the future. But what you do is yes, you can buy a club. You I mean you have the 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 means to, right? But you don't buy a club. You don't buy a club, right? You're 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 essentially trying to earn the trust of a I'm gonna be very candid in saying this, a people group. And what Camoli did, he they researched, they did case studies, they went to the universities. I guess again, I'm saying this humbly because I I am not from that area, but I guess in that Toulouse region, rugby is neck and neck with football, right? So they went to the universities, they went to the town councils, and they asked him, "What is wrong with our club? What is wrong with Toulouse FC? What would you change?" He did that prior, prior to them uh, owning the club. Obviously, Toulouse has a somewhat—I um, would say—a a solid history of producing talent, but then being competent in, in league on, uh, you know, top tier. They know. They knew. Um, they have proof that they could find talent through Redbird. Um, and obviously Damien Damien Camoli is one of the godfathers of the, the sporting director, director of football role, um, simply because he's been around a long time. <laughs> I mean, he, he's yeah. been around a long time and he's been around the right people via Arsene Wenger or being at Liverpool, being at, at Tottenham. Uh, he, he understands how to get talent. He understands how to link that talent with the right manager. So the football side, was taken care of. Um, you know, when, when you look at owning a, or buying a club, there's different components of it that make it a puzzle, make it a Gordian knot, or make it paint by numbers. And to me, it can be very much paint by numbers if you are patient. Uh, and patient is the thing that I don't see widespread. Uh, but Kamoli and uh, Redbird were, were patient. They knew that they, they could get talent and they knew that they could get managers, leaders who could get that talent back to league on. So what's the missing piece? What is the most neglected piece? The shirt, the brand, the crest. That purple and white shirt is not just a billboard for sponsorships and other companies and, hey, look at us or follow us on Instagram. Yes, that's important and that's a part of it. That purple and white shirt is a flag for a group of people. And Komoli and Toulouse understood that they need to have them on board. Again, I'm saying this as an American. Um, when, when you look at, uh, so the Denver Nuggets won the, um, the NBA championship a few weeks ago. I'm saying this as an American. I've played and, and, and followed basketball my entire life. Good for the Denver Nuggets. You know why I say that uh, nonchalantly? Uh, there's there's not an identity there. I'm not, I'm, you know, I, and I'm being overly harsh to, to paint a picture as far as if, and I shared this before, when the Golden State Warriors win, when Clay Thompson is shooting, you know, 26 threes or, or whatever, or Steph Curry is doing his game, you know, shooting from the logo, that is compelling. That is the style of play that they have succeeded with. And that is the style of play that they will fail with, but we love it as neutral, somewhat neutral observers simply because that is an identity. So going back to Toulouse, going back to Lyon, that shirt that your players, your academy, um, your youth setup, they play in, it, it's not just you know, it, it's not just a you know, a, a kit that identifies you know your club. It's a flag. And people in that region want, they, they crave being proud of their club. That, like that, That's the part that I always worry about when, you know, fill in the blank investor buys however many shares in whatever club. Simply because it, it's very easy to write a check and, and to, um, you know, buy things, invest in things it's very hard and it's very time consuming to invest in a relationship with a people group and that that is where that is that is where like i said at the top the, the patience element is a determining factor
0: i agree with you completely on on, on that actually and and that's why i I'm, i don't want to say i worry but you you look at certain ownership structures like i, I you know i look at Wrexham, for example, and you've got these Hollywood A-listers who've come in. People are associating themselves with Hollywood and those A-listers more than they are, in my opinion, with Wrexham, the town, the city, the history, the heritage. I'm hoping that will flip. And I, you know, a, a smart owner, I guess, would know that I have to do this initially to kind of grow the brand, build the brand, et cetera. But eventually I want to flip it back to what this club means to its community, its surrounding areas, its, you know, the history of the shirt. I hope so. Let's see if that happens. Um, going, flipping over, over back to Serie A then, David, because you mentioned that earlier, and, and we identified Lazio as one of the, the clubs there that we believe you know has a heavy shirt. Now, I mean, it's not that they're not successful, right? They have been successful, you know, early late 90s, early 2000s, right? It's a while ago. I mean, they finished second last year in Serie A, right? Which is really positive. But I guess, you know, a, a lot of the, the noise, I guess, in Rome... Is uh, is made by the other side in in Roma and, and Jose, you know. There's a it's a club which seems to have a stable ownership structure with their owners being there since 2004, 20 plus years. I guess the big change here is is their sporting director, Tare, is just about to leave, so a new one is is rumored to come in. Um, they've got Maurizio Sarri there as the manager. What kind of things from a sporting director's angle do you think they need to be? I guess working on or concerned with as they come into a club like Lazio to embrace that heavy shirt but also try to I guess make them more successful.
1: Yeah, it um I'm going to apologize up front because I I I grew up football-wise on Serie A. So, um there's a lot of tangents that are <laughs> in there, but uh that being said, when we talk about heavy shirts and we talk about Serie A and we talk about Italy. And then we, if, if we focus on Lazio, wow, uh, there is a lot there. That It is one of the most, um, it's funny. I, I would say Lazio and Roma. And then if you pick, any, for, for those of us who are not in uh, Argentina, um, we, we don't understand how, and I say this word lovingly, we don't understand how crazy their supporters and their fan bases. You know that Lazio and Rome So I, I don't. I don't want to talk too much about Roma uh, if we're talking about Lazio, just out of respect to, yeah, to those. I two agree. Guys. I agree. But, um, if I remember correctly, and this number has to have gone up since since pre-COVID, but they. I mean, Rome. Uh, Rome has at least I think eight radio stations devoted to Roma. They, they have five or six that are devoted to Lazio it I mean I'm here in the states and I don't believe that any MLS club any any soccer as we say it here any soccer or football club has a radio station. I'm being dramatic right they maybe have one or two but they don't have eight for one in one city right So what does that tell you right off you know right off the top? there is a following here that has expectations Lazio, is a club that is very steeped in Italian uh, culture, tradition, especially with the national team. But there's also uh, a, and this is where, you know, you you always have to be careful and appreciate it, but understand how it can be flawed very quickly. Uh, Lazio also has a very political element to it too. I won't get into that simply because it's not the scope of this conversation. However, when you look at Lotito, uh, Claudio Lotito, and what he's done in in Italian football over the past 20 years, it's impressive. He is very much so a polarizing figure in Italian football, and I'm being generous, okay? Uh, I'm I'm being, (laughs) again, we don't want to go down that path too far. Iliatare is a former, I believe, Albanian uh, striker. I always liked his uh, crew cut red hair. Uh, that he's rocked for the past 20 plus years. Claudio Lotito is is a typical owner. He wants you to know he's the owner, right? He wants you to see him, and he wants you to know that he knows a lot. Iliatare is the direct opposite. Iliotare is a former player. Uh, Personality-wise, I appreciate his personality in the sense that, hey, my name is Iliatare. I'm the sporting director for Lazio. I'm going to go get an espresso. He disappears. I mean, he'll he'll watch everything. He knows everything, but he doesn't need to tell you who, what, or when he's done anything. And he has a very decorated career, um, at least as a sporting director, as a as a striker, as a player. It was more, um, you know, normal, if you will. Losing him now puts again, you know, there's a theme here. It it puts ownership back under the microscope, and not ownership as it's. I'm going to use the word efficacy, but more so, it's personality. Too often in football, we want to talk about we want to talk about tactics. We want to talk about data. We want to talk about you know uh, where go de position. We want to talk about money. We want to talk about you know the Saudis. We want, okay, you know, I mean, those are all valid conversations. Okay, but the fact of the matter is, we are always talking about one or two leaders leading a group of men. And you cannot have uh, holes. You cannot have inefficiencies in your leadership. And your personality as a leader, as a director, but even more so as an owner, has to exude confidence and calmness. In my opinion, Lotito does not exude that. He exudes power. And power is not a good or a bad thing, but it amplifies what you have. It amplifies your resources, right? I think that Maurizio, I'm I'm, confident Maurizio Sarri is a, a gifted teacher, a gifted uh, manager tactically and leadership-wise. Yet you still, in, in today's world football, especially in European football, you still need levels of, of leadership. Um, the manager can't be... And it's a joke I made about Chelsea and, and Todd Bowley over the last year or so. Todd Bowley can't be looking at left backs in Argentina and then meeting, uh, you know, Amazon Prime or uh, Qatar Airways about a deal an hour later. He, he it's not. He can. He can do that. I'm not saying that he, he physically or literally can't. It's not in the best long term interest of the club for him to have that many important roles that he oversees on a daily basis. Lazio is a club that over, um, I don't want to say they punch above their weight. I want to say that they are capable of taking down the other bigger clubs in Italy when they have alignment. And when they've had alignment, they have been a thorn in the side of Juventus, AC, Milan, Inter Milan. Uh, but they've lost their coach, uh, their manager in, in the last few years, and, and Simone Inzaghi, who had a a very productive relationship with Igli Tare and Claudio Lotito. And now they've lost, or they are losing um, uh, Tare as a director. So where do those voids of leadership go to? Uh, I, ca- I cannot recall who said this quote, uh, but power... Oh, so I-, I do recall. Lyndon B. Johnson, he was the president's that took over in the United States after uh, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I believe that was in the 60s. I want to say 63. And he said quite candidly and quite simply, power goes where power is. So for an owner who is very intent on applying power, you are going to apply it where it has the most power. You're going to apply it in recruitment. You're going to apply it in, in your choice of the manager or taking away options for your manager, right? And when you take away the person who has been a buffer between the manager and the owner for the better part of, let's say, you know, at least three or four seasons, you open up yourself up for, I'm going to call it peaks and valleys in leadership. I'm not saying that they're not good enough to overcome them. I'm not saying that, that um uh, I'm not saying that like there, there's going to be issues. I'm just saying that is something to be mindful of.
0: I mean, I read, I read a quote from Letito, not today, but I, I read it today that he's looking to freshen things up. I mean, Taro's been there for fifteen odd years, and I think, you know, they obviously want to go that little bit higher. But maybe it's a case of, well, maybe I haven't flexed my power in fifteen years. I need to flex it right now. I don't know, so we'll see what happens with Lazio and and uh, that area there. Um, So, so David, I think as a final kind of close, I mean, we're not going to cover all of the areas I think we wanted to cover today, so we might have to bridge this into two episodes which we can put out for for the audience next week. But I wanted to look at the heavy shirt in the Premier League and I think we chose Everton as one. You know, they obviously um, reside in, in the big city of Liverpool. They obviously compete with Liverpool in terms of the fan base in that area had great success in the 80s and uh, you know winning the league etc um, i think the last trophy was in the 90s i mean this one feels like a really kind of heavy shirt they just avoided relegation last year they've changed their ownership structure premier league feels like its own kind of world in many ways so i just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on you know from a sporting directors angle heavy shirts in the premier league the kind of areas that they have to think about um, the ownership structures in the Premier League? I mean, this is a big conversation, so I don't know whether we can get it down to a five-minute ending, but we'll see how we go. So what do you think?
1: Oh, five-minute ending. Uh, no, no. Um, I, uh, <laughs> um, I I think I, I always make sure every single week that I, I, I'm very clear in saying that I, I, I don't really have the appetite to bash clubs. Um, that's not really my thing, um, even though some make it easier than others. Sure. Um, but what I will say is that it's painful to say. No, not painful. It's just very redundant to say this on a weekly basis. But I, I know that it needs to be said. And I, I've taken three plus years of, of reminding myself fit and alignment. It's the banner. It is the banner on my Twitter profile. It is three words. It's a concept that is annoying um, because it's it shouldn't be that simple. but it can screw up uh, a lot and it can make a heavy shirt almost unwearable, right? And when we look at Everton and we look at just, again, you know, um, football life has waves, right? There's certain times where because you were able to have, say, Wayne Rooney or have David Moyes as your manager, you're able to overcome your either geographic or uh, financial limitations, right? Let's be honest, that happens. But life football is very um, resilient in the sense that your advantage today could very well, very well be a disadvantage in six months. Or in football terms, your advantage you know, this season could be your downfall in two seasons. What got you directly promoted um, without a playoff in one season, the talent that you had in in that squad because they were so talented might be sold off, and all you have is a pot of money instead of actual players on the pitch and When I look at everton, I see um I don't see fit in alignment and i and I see a an attempt to be coherent and to be cohesive, however. It always starts with ownership. And I'm not knocking Moshiri as an owner. What I'm knocking is the lack of a followed through process. When Marcel Brands was there, um, you have, you, I mean, at, at clubs now, you have so much talent in your executive, your director um, tree, if you will, whether it's technical director, academy director, head of recruitment, head of first-team recruitment, you have so much talent. I mean, they had Marcel Brands, they had uh, Grytar Steinerson. They, they had so much talent, but it doesn't matter if the, the the direction that you want to move in doesn't align, maybe not necessarily with the, the, time, uh, the uh, personality of the owner, but it doesn't align with the timeline of the investment, right? Let's, let's, let's rip off all the facades of, of recruitment and fit alignment this day and the other. The bottom line is, in the grown-up world of business and football, your expectation needs to meet or exceed the timeline of the investment. So when you buy a club, when you purchase a club for just to make up a number, you know, 500 million euros you kind to make it cash flow positive to make it a viable um endeavor you need to make champions league you need you need to be top 4 top 5 you, you know you you need to be able to sell one or two profiles every single year at a astronomical rate you know youth product and you sold them for 50 million euros right like you have to do that and i'm not saying that that have to as far as a it's just the way things are. No, I'm, I mean that might be part of it. I'm saying it more so that in your model, and this is the this is the this is where again you know going back to the top of the conversation, this is where it gets tricky because just because you have the means, the financial and the capital means to purchase a club, if you don't understand the shirt, if you don't understand the history of the town, if you don't understand how much Evertonians, how much Toffees hate. If you don't understand that and you come in there with a view of what you can achieve, it's going to be hard because you have to appreciate and embody the, the personality of your supporter base. And maybe that's the main disconnect. That Maybe that's what we keep seeing with Everton. Uh, ownership does not align with the supporter base. Maybe, maybe I'm the one who was gifted the, the opportunity to drop that bomb, but that that's what I continue to see, is I see moves and I see a process that is focused on outcomes, which is, I mean, obvious. You need to ha- focus on the outcomes, but it doesn't appreciate the supporter base. It doesn't appreciate the shirt and what goes into throwing on a shirt for Everton. The, the, the Everton that David Moyes... Uh, represented Seamus Coleman. I, I mean, I'm thinking of Tim Cahill. All these guys that were fighters that fought, fought above their you know, punched their weight. Do we do we see that anymore? Do we have that embodiment at the club? I don't know. I don't see it. I mean, they they
0: they've got a lot of work to do, but I, I don't know. I'm I'm actually gonna. There's probably probably a few factors at play here, right? The supporter base, I think, is it gets more and more disconnected because they see their rivals doing really well, right? But when I look at what Everton, I mean, it's not like they've not, it's not like they've tried to put, they've they've put money into the club. You know, they're building a new stadium. They're trying to invest for the future. Um, It's one of those scenarios where when you write a team sheet down on paper, it looks great because the names are great. But when they start playing football, it just don't work for some reason. And I think it's that reason which has obviously held them back. And, you know, I hope, because you know there is a definitely a, a historic, um, romantic side to a club like Everton, who have been in, in in the top division for so long and have such a long tradition and history that they do get it right. Um, but it's, it's it's a fascinating one in terms of the investment that they had. I mean, in terms of a sporting director, because they've got one in there, um, David. And just a final comment, I mean, you know what? Ha, you know, we always said that they are the kind of hub. You know, and the spokes come out to the departments. What, 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 would, what would you say he needs to focus on? And I'm not saying that's you want to do his job, but based on your experience from profiling all of these men, all of these directors.
1: Yeah. So Kevin Thelwell is. I'm glad I found him as a sporting director when he was still at Red Bull New York, uh, because mm-hmm. here in the states, we're, I mean, respectfully, we're not up to speed just as far, just because of how the MLS. Uh, I don't know what word to use to be negative, but uh, how they uh, restrict transfers and team building—I'll say it that way. Um, the 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 machinations and, and the 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 commonalities in recruitment that are in Europe and ro- worldwide are not the same here in the states. Okay, uh, so Kevin Thelwell could talk in depth uh, about what he had learned at Red Bull, what he had learned at Wolves. Um, I forget the other club that he was at, uh, but, it, you know, I, I mean, just to be very to the point, Kevin Thelwell and his his crew, his setup, they don't, it's, it's not going to be about talent. It's not going to be about, it's not going to be about doing anything differently. It's not. They do, they do data. They do talent, they do talent profiles. They do role profiles. They have a good manager in Sean Dice. That, that, that's not going to be the issue. The issue is always going to start and end with alignment. So if, I mean, and think about this, you know, like if, if you're, if you're Moshiri and you've been taking heat, absolute uh, planet of Mars heat from the uh, supporter base for two plus seasons, pre-COVID, even if we're being honest, you, you have to do well, right? So when you have to do well and you have to perform, something has to change. And it's not going to be you because you own the club unless you you surrender. Right. So what has to change? The only thing that can change that, you know, really shouldn't change, but it makes everybody happy is timelines. Right. Because if you say, hey, we're aiming for Europa League. Well, okay, do we have Europa League goal scoring talent? Do we have a Europa League uh, caliber goalkeeper, right? And everybody wants to, uh, and this is the the dirty truth about sports, right? Um, and I'm saying this because I play professionally a different sport. I played a high level university here in the States. Everybody wants to shoot for the stars. Everybody wants to shoot for the silverware, right? The reality is, is that it's not, that's not how you do it. You know, to, to start with, the reality is is that you set the standard of improvement at a, I'm going to call it molecular level inside the club, inside the team, and you continue to build on. It. I think I talked about this last time. Chris Hughton was a manager at Brighton Hove Albion. Chris, and I'll say that again for emphasis. Chris Hughton was a manager at Brighton Hove Albion. Their manager right now, Rob, Roberto De Zerbi, is categorically different than Chris Hughton. So like so different. So different. Why? Why? How did that work? Brighton Hove, Albion needed Chris Hutton's style, level and ability as a manager in that season of the club's development. So going back to Everton and, and, you know, to wrap up my point, when you speed up timelines, when you do not focus on the shirt, when you do not f- focus on what are we good at? Who are we? Who do we need to be? Who do we need to be today so fans, supporters come through the stern turnstiles? When you do not focus on that at the initial stages, what you have is you have check chasing. You're going to you're going to write checks to fill problems that you didn't assess correctly when you walked into the situation. So, I I mean, I don't know. I don't want to be negative, overly negative. I just I just don't see I don't see a commitment to the culture and the, the crest of that club. And that's not to say that it, it hasn't been done or it's not being done. It's just more so, I mean, it, it kind of is is what it is, you know, uh, until you commit to the standard, you will be beholden to the standings. You will be, be beholden to getting only results. The standard of the club does not dictate the standings you know where the club um, ends say at the end of the season it, it gives it a, a launching point it, it gives it an aiming point but when you cannot when you cannot categorically define the identity and the brand and the culture of a club as an owner and invest in that, you're going to chase the standings you're going to chase six you know six we've got to be six well how do we get to be six? well we need to win we, we need to to win you know, uh 15 points over our next seven matches. That's that what that has nothing to do with Liverpool, the town. It has nothing to do with the boxing culture. You know what I'm saying? Like those are things that yeah. we, we want to ignore. We want to ignore when Liverpool is playing Norwich in the Carabao Cup, right? Like we want to ignore it because that doesn't have anything to do with it, right? Wrong. It has everything to do with it. When you don't know who you are as a club, when you don't know who you are Um, as an owner of a club and how those two are not mutually exclusive again you will write as many checks as is needed to correct that problem but you will never solve the problem
0: I totally agree totally agree I mean they are a club that are I think in in survival mode right now it's like you said it's about the the standings as opposed to the standard Right, which they're trying to set, and maybe this upcoming season is again going to be one where we always—I know we always mention stability—they need to get stable, right, and uh, not have to go through those types of relegation battles that they had this season. David, listen, we we, we had a great conversation. I hope you, um, all of those who are listening, taking time out of your day to listen, have enjoyed it. Um, we didn't look at the clubs we mentioned at the top of the show. Um, You know, we wanted to look at the club in the Bundesliga in the. Um, the Eredivisie and also the Belgian Pro League. We probably might do that in the next episode and just to kind of wrap up um, the heavy shirt concept that we have and and link it back into sporting directors. As always, we want to thank you for being here. Uh, Please take a look at our previous episodes where we've covered a whole range of topics, you know, focusing on sporting directors, looking at stability, looking at fit and alignment, um, common themes that you hear about on pretty much every episode, but which are so, so important and pertinent to the way a sporting director will operate. I will put David's um, Twitter handle in the show notes. He puts out some fantastic tweets, um, looking at profiling sporting directors, looking at the way they work, which is some really really insightful stuff. Um, looking at certain areas of football, which you might not see elsewhere. And as always, please keep a eye lookout on Get Football's outlets as well, where we cover European football, world football, with news, videos, and opinions. You know, with some of the most plugged-in analysts across the football landscape. I'll put a link in the show notes for that too. And lastly, and as always, we just want to thank you for being here and we hope you have a great day.